Today, our scripture reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 16, and we'll have the words on screen, though, as always, I invite you to open a Bible or a smartphone or something nearby you so that you have it on hand as we go through. Luke, chapter 16, starting in verse 19 and continuing through 31 at the end of the chapter. There was a rich man who dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day, and at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime, while Lazarus, uh, you received good things, while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you heard this story for the first time, you you might be a little bit confused about it. I mean, it's a strange story that Jesus tells. What is going on in this story? What's Jesus trying to say? You might think it's about heaven and hell, and that is sort of the setting of this story, but it is not the main point. You might think it's about rich people and poor people, and uh, money certainly is the problem that prompts Jesus to tell this story, but also not the main point. See, at its core, the story is about something else. Jesus is trying to to reveal something about the power of the word. Jesus is the living word made flesh, soon to be crucified and killed and raised from the dead. And he's revealing something about himself. So let's hear and, and listen and be transformed by his word today. And as always, it helps us to look at the context of the story. So we've been reading through the book of Luke for many months now, and you might have noticed by now that Luke has a lot to say about money. The the immediate context here is a problem that the Pharisees bring up. Uh, Let's look back to verses 13 and 14. It says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one or love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. And he said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value is highly detestable in God's sight. The problem that prompts this story seems to be something like caring too much about money. 
The, the, word, the word there is uh, mammon. You might have heard it before. It's not a Greek word, actually, but an Aramaic word, a, a folk god of money, kind of money personified. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees cared so much about money that they, they turned it into a god. Now, way back at the beginning of Luke, Luke kicks it off with a bit of a, a money talk, too. Luke dedicates this whole book to a wealthy donor, Theophilus. And then he fills the book with warnings about all the problems and dangers of wealth. Uh, in Luke 1, we heard Mary sing, uh, God has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. In Luke 6, Jesus says, Blessed are you who are poor, for, you, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. And then after those nice blessings, Jesus turns around and says, But woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well-fed now, for you will go hungry. And then in Luke 12, Jesus tells a story about a rich man who uh, is counting on a big harvest, and so he tears down his barns, and he starts building bigger barns. Jesus says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. And the theme of money is woven all the way through Luke. Uh, last week, we heard of a poor woman who, who lost a coin and turns her house upside down searching for it. We saw a shepherd who was probably poor too going off to search for that one lost sheep. We saw a rich waiting father who divides his estate and the son who wastes it and the other son who never feels it's, e it's even his. The theme of money is everywhere in Luke if you look for it. And Luke is warning his readers to not trust too much in money. But that's not all. The, the biggest problem is that money takes the place of the word. And that's how we come to the story of uh, the rich man and Lazarus. Let's take a look at that rich man first. Uh, he's quite the character. Uh, every day it says he, he dresses in purple. And you might have heard that purple cloth is for royalty in the Bible. Purple cloth is for kings. Well, the reason is, is that way is because it was so expensive. The dye used to make purple cloth back then was made from, it was found in tiny quantities in the bodies of mollusks. So they'd have to like, crush thousands of these mollusks to get just a little bit of the dye. It was more valuable than gold. And the dye worked so well that it never faded. In fact, I, I read uh, just recently this, uh, this month of some archaeologists who found some purple cloth in Israel. Uh, the cloth dates back to 1000 BCE the time of King David, and it's still purple after 3,000 years. Now back to that rich man. See, this rich man is so rich, he wears purple every day, and he also wears fine linen too, Jesus says. Fine linen. That, that seems like a strange detail, but Jesus is actually making a joke here. See, uh, this is the same word that's used for the fancy white cotton underpants that the Egyptians wore. Uh, he's saying, this guy's so rich, he wears fancy underwear every day. Purple on cloth and fancy whitey tighties underneath. And not only that, th this guy lives in luxury every single day. Some translations say he feasted sumptuously every day. This man eats a huge feast every day. Who, who does that? Who goes around having a big Thanksgiving or an Easter meal every single day? Not anyone who wants to live very long as it turns out for this guy. And one commentator points out that not only does this man feast every day, but he is not keeping the Sabbath. You see, if he is feasting every single day, he's forcing his servants to cook him a banquet on the Sabbath. 
Or maybe he's doing it himself, although I highly doubt it. But even so, he is not keeping the Sabbath. He is not living according to the law. He's not going to the synagogue to hear the word. He's not living according to the word, especially in regards to the poor. Just take a look at that second guy in the story, Lazarus. See, he is poor. He's a beggar. He has a name. That is unusual. Lazarus is the only person in all the parables of Jesus that has a name. In most parables, Jesus tells a story about a rich man or a woman or a farmer or a shepherd. Well, here Jesus calls Lazarus by name four times in this story. But the rich man, he doesn't get a name. He's any rich man, every rich man. But Lazarus has a name. And that means, the name means the one whom God has helped. Now, you might be a little bit confused here because there is another Lazarus in the Bible. You might have heard of him. It's not the same guy. Uh, The the other guy shows up in the book of John, a whole different book. Uh, He is the brother of Mary and Martha. And uh, they are rich. They, They have a house. They're not poor. They're not homeless. And Jesus raises that other Lazarus from the dead. And uh, this guy here, he dies and, and goes to be with Abraham. It's a, it's a totally different guy. So just set the other guy aside and think about this one in this story. This Lazarus, he is laid at the gate of a rich man. Now, he is carried there by someone. He can't get there himself. He's too weak. And some commentators think that his family or his community carries him there. He's so sick that the only one with enough money to do anything for him at this point is that rich man in town. They can't do anything for him anymore, so they do the only thing they can, which is to carry him to the rich man's gate. And he spends his days at the gate waiting, at the door in the wall surrounding the man's house. And he's covered with sores, which must be terribly painful. And even worse, he can, he can hear the party that's going on inside. Everything is close together in small towns like that. So so he can see the guests coming and going. He can see the servants going out to buy food for the daily feast. He can maybe even smell the food cooking, the the roasted meat and the, the bread baking. And Luke says he longed to eat what fell from the rich man's table. He, he, wants, uh, he wants the table scraps, the, the leftovers, the crusts of bread that those rich Romans would use to sop up the meat drippings from the table. And they, they used them as napkins and then tossed them on the floor. He desires, but he never receives anything at all from the rich man. Not food and not compassion. Now the rich man won't help him, but the dogs do. The dogs were probably fed the table scraps that should have gone to Lazarus. This rich man would rather feed the dogs than beggars. And the dogs at the time were considered unclean animals. They were more like street dogs, not the friendly washed pets that we let inside of our homes. But the dogs are the only ones who show Lazarus any kind of compassion. And they do it in the most dog-like way. They, They lick him. They comfort him by licking his wounds. It shows affection, as we know, but also some say it might have healing properties for his wounds, too. Now, if we pause the story here, you might think this is just a story about rich people and poor people, about uh, Lazarus the beggar and the rich man who won't help him. And that certainly is part of what Jesus is trying to say. The rich man and Lazarus are divided by this in life, by money or, or lack of it. And the gate stands between them. Though really a gate, remember, is is a hole in a wall, and people can pass through gates. The the rich man could have passed through that gate and brought the beggar in, but he did not. 
Now, if you've ever spent much time in a bigger city, you might have seen people asking for money. Maybe someone asked you for money. People will stake out a corner uh, uh, near an exit of the expressway, and they'll stand there flying a sign, as it's now called. They'll fly a sign that says something serious, like uh, hungry and homeless, uh, anything helps, God bless. Or it might say something funny like, uh, why lie? I need a beer. Uh, some people hang out near churches on Sundays or uh, um, they, they stake out a bar or a festival hoping to get a little bit of food or some money. And in my experience, most people asking for money are legit. They, they might be telling you a story, a, a story designed to hook you and get you to give them some money, and the story may not be entirely true, but they do need some help. And maybe they need some money. Uh, but what they most want probably is someone to notice them, someone to listen to them, someone to acknowledge that they're human, hear them out, and too often they're ignored or mistreated or, or, or worse, cursed and, and abused. I usually don't give people money. Um, I'll offer them food, like a, a granola bar from the glove compartment or from my backpack. But uh, one time in downtown Grand Rapids during Art Prize, I offered to buy a guy a piece of pizza. And he said, yeah. So we went into the store, and he decided he wanted two pieces of pizza and a drink. I, I said, no, I'm, I'm cutting it off there. Just one piece of pizza, and we'll get some water. Uh, another time I was working at Pine Rest, and we often had homeless people who would come in for mental health treatment. And uh, we were doing a Bible study, on, uh, I think, on this passage. And one of those homeless people challenged my lack of generosity. She said, you know, I've been homeless. I always give them 10 or 20 bucks if I have it. I've been on the street. I'd rather give them the money. Sure, they might go in and buy drugs or booze with it, but I'd rather give them the money than whatever else they're going to have to do to get that money out on the street. I was, I was stunned, but I think she's right, that compassion comes first, that uh, treating poor people like human beings is the most important thing, hearing their story, uh, sorting out how you can help, even putting limits on how you're willing to help, if that's wise, and, and being generous. Now, you might be thinking, well, that happens in Grand Rapids or Detroit or Chicago. It doesn't happen here. Uh, no, it, it happens here, too. It might look a little different. There are homeless people living out of their cars around here. You see them pull up at, uh, into our church parking lot or the Good Samaritan or maybe at the library in Charlevoix. It might look different, but, but people need help. Um, uh, it might look like uh, around here like someone who, who maybe has a house, but it is not a house worth living in. Or someone who has food, but it's, it's junk food that they eat every day. See, poor people are, are people who need to be comforted, to be treated as, as human beings with compassion, people made in God's image. Poverty may look different around here, but we all have poor neighbors like Lazarus. Lazarus' story starts changing. It starts looking up for him the moment he dies. See, once again, he is carried. Just like in life he was carried, in death he is carried, but this time by angels, and he is carried to Abraham's side. In older translations, it says he reclined at Abraham's bosom. Now, that means he's not just close to Abraham, the, the patriarch of the Jewish family. No, he is at a banquet. Reclining is something you do at a feast. He's gone from longing for the table scraps to feasting with Abraham. And then the rich man dies, but in a very different way. He is buried, it says, which means he had a big funeral celebration as befits a rich man. Lazarus had none of that. But the rich man ends up in the place of the dead, a place called Hades, a place of torment and pain. 
Uh, a quick warning here. Uh, be careful not to imagine these places as heaven and hell. Uh, that is not what Jesus is trying to teach in this passage for the most part. There's a lot more going on. And anyway, it doesn't really match up with whatever picture you have in your head of what heaven and hell look like. Uh, for one, the rich man can see Abraham and Lazarus from, from where he is. And he, he has this whole conversation with Abraham. It's not the heaven and hell that you might be thinking of because that's not what's going on in the story. Instead, look at their conversation. The rich man starts off by daring to call Abraham father. He says, my father Abraham. He's calling on his privilege as one of Abraham's descendants. And not only that, he has the audacity to ask for Lazarus to be sent to him. And that's surprising. For one, he knows Lazarus' name. He knows the name of the guy who lay at his gate all those years. And some commentators say that the, the problem in this story is that the rich man didn't see the poor man. That he didn't see him. But really, he did see him. He knew his name. He knew his name. He saw him. He knew his name. And he still refused to comfort him. And now he demands that Lazarus be sent to him like a servant. To comfort him with a little bit of water. It won't do any good. And clearly, he has not learned his lesson yet. Now, Abraham replies to him, child, son, but child, really, child, remember. And it's the same word that we heard last week when the waiting father runs out of the feast to try to plead with his older son to come into the party. He says, child. His words are meant to be comforting. Both the rich man and Lazarus have received good thing, had received things in life. It's, it's the divine passive. God is the one who did these things. In life and in death, all gifts come as grace from God. The rich man did not recognize God's gifts of grace in life. The poor man did. And one is comforted now and the other is in agony. And then Abraham gestures helplessly at this big chasm between them. The, the rich man and Lazarus are divided in death, just like they were in life. And it's impossible to cross that divide. Now notice the order in the text of who wants to cross. It says, those who want to go from here to you cannot. Now who do you think from Abraham's side wanted to cross over to help the rich man? Maybe it's Lazarus. Maybe he's whispering in Abraham's ear. He doesn't say a word in this story, but you can imagine him whispering in Abraham's ear, please let me go over to comfort the rich man. Look, he's in pain. See, a, a lifetime of pain has made Lazarus sensitive to the suffering of others. But he can't go there. Now, the rich man has a, a second request of Abraham. He says, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Now again, he still has not learned his lesson. He still thinks Lazarus is his servant. He still thinks of himself as better than Lazarus. And some commentators point out that this rich man has, is one of uh, six brothers. Six is this number that represents evil and incompleteness. And if the rich man had treated Lazarus as a brother, as he should in life, they would have been seven brothers. Seven is the number of goodness and perfection and wholeness and completeness. Without Lazarus, they are incomplete. And Abraham replies, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. 
See, because if they truly listened to the law and the prophets, the rich man and his brothers would live differently. They would treat Lazarus and other poor people with compassion as their brothers and sisters. They would be a little bit more complete. Uh, God's wholeness, God's shalom would be more evident on earth. But the rich man still dares to contradict Abraham. He says, no, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. That is preposterous. I mean, this rich man is, himself is talking with Abraham. He can see Lazarus alive after death, and he still has not learned his lesson. He still hasn't repented. Why does he think that they will? It's like he hopes they'll have their Scrooge moment, like Ebenezer Scrooge does in The Christmas Carol. You know, he's visited by that first ghost of his evil business partner, a suffering in chains for the evil he did in life. And then the three spirits come after him, the Christmas past, present, and future, and they show him what was, what is, and what may yet be if he doesn't repent. But unlike Scrooge, the rich man in this story does not repent. And Abraham drives home the point of the story here. He says, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced if someone rises from the dead. And that's Jesus' main point here. The word is everything. The word is enough. God's word was revealed through Moses and the prophets, and God's word is present among them now. Jesus is the word made flesh. Listen to him. And listening means hearing and obeying the word. It means living changed lives and having changed hearts. And that is true repentance. And if the brothers won't repent, even if someone comes back from the dead, if we're like anybody in this story, It's not Lazarus and the rich man. It's the brothers. They have the law and the prophets. They have the word. It should be enough. And the one rising from the dead here is not just Lazarus, but it is Jesus himself. See, Luke is pointing forward to Jesus' coming death and resurrection. Jesus is the one who rises from the dead. And even that is not enough for some to believe. And one commentator says that many books have been written trying to prove that Jesus rose from the dead. And that is all fine and good, but it's not going to make people believe in Jesus for the most part. It might remove some of their objections. But he says, the main obstacle to faith is not a lack of proof. It's an excess of other interests and investments, time, money, dreams, and so on. In other words, People don't believe or don't live like they believe in Jesus because they've got too much going on in their lives. They're too busy. They have too much money or stuff. They've got dreams to work for. They've got politics to give them meaning. They don't need Jesus. They don't need to care for the poor. They don't need to listen to the word. They don't need to change their heart or change their lives. They don't need to repent, or so they think. But we do need to repent because Jesus is calling us back to himself, back to the living word embodied in himself, found in these stories and parables and teachings. And Jesus is saying to us, to his listeners, to the Pharisees and Sadducees and the crowd gather all around, listen to the word. He says to us, listen to me. And that means don't listen to the money. Don't listen to those talking heads on your TV. Don't listen to anything that uh, keeps you from listening to Jesus. Because those who don't care for the poor and the foreigner are those who are not listening to Jesus. 
If you listen to Jesus, if you listen to the word, then you will be transformed by the Holy Spirit to be like Jesus. You will live differently because God changes your heart and your life. And it looks like this, like showing compassion for the poor, like laying aside your riches and your privilege for the sake of others. It looks like Lazarus, not like the rich man in this story. And it looks like Jesus, the one who gave his life so that we might find life in him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Jesus, living word, we desire, we long for you. And we want to, to, to be seated at your feast, uh, to not just receive the scraps from your table, but to receive the full bounty of your kingdom, that, that we may be your, your children. And we, we want to see that kingdom bounty even in this life in the way that your shalom, your wholeness is breaking into the world, in the way that, uh, empowered by your word, we might care for the poor among us. Jesus Christ, come now, we pray. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Shape us to be your people, your kingdom people in the world. Spur our hearts to repentance and to, to live changed lives because our hearts are changed. We, we pray this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's respond to the word that we've heard with a song that 